All right, uh, we are in the book of Proverbs, continuing in the series for the fall. Uh, many of you, uh, I'm guessing, were here last week, and uh, Russ began his talk. We looked at uh, this idea of finances and what does Proverbs have to say about the ways in which we steward our money, use our finances. Uh, and he kind of played a game in the beginning where he tried to come up or, or asked uh, the congregation to come up with as many words for money as we could. And uh, over the course of uh, some small group interaction and looking up there, there's well over 40 different words that our culture uses to try to describe money. So it was uh, kind of a good way to, to get the brain going. And so in that same vein, we're going uh, to play a little bit of a game this morning. And uh, so I'm going to ask you to engage with this, get the, get the mind moving a little bit. We're going to look at this idea of quotes. I am somebody who uh, is a big fan of quotes. Movie quotes, uh, I think, are really fun to, uh, to use with friends and, and to kind of banter back and forth. So we're going to start easy. I'm going to say a quote, and, uh, and then I want you to yell back to me in a nice voice, uh, yell back uh, what movie that is from, all right? And I'm not going to do the voice in the way that it was said because I don't want to give any of these away, but they're all decently easy. So the first one. Show me the money. Jeremy Maguire. Easy, right? Easy. Here's the bonus question. What's the character's name in the movie that said that? Not Jerry Maguire. Well, he does say it, but the first person that says it. The football player. The football player, Ron Tidwell. Yeah, there you go. See, this gets hard. This gets hard. Uh, how about this one? From one of my favorite movies, boy, that escalated. Anchorman, thank you. Anchorman up front. <laughs> Who says that? Ron Burgundy, yep. Uh, I put this one in here for Allison. May the force be with you. Who says that? What movie? Frodo. Star Wars. <laughs> Frodo, nice. So, so from Star Wars, somebody in the first service said, well, I think everyone says that in Star Wars. Um, uh, so we'll, we'll reach back a little bit for this one. Houston, we have a problem. Apollo 13, name the, uh, the character who says it. Jim Lovell. Jim Lovell, who got that? Nice job, well done, Jim Lovell. Uh, okay, in honor of Halloween, I see dead people. The Sixth Sense, yes, anybody know the little boy's name that says it? Cole, well done. You saw that last night? <laughs> wow, it's incredible. Uh, Cole Sear is that, uh, that kid's name. Uh, so, okay, from one of my favorite movies, and I believe the movie that has maybe the best series of uh, character monologues of all time, here it is. You want me on that line. You need me on that line. A few good men. Well done. Yeah. Colonel Nathan Jessup says that. Uh, by the way, I did not know all of these. I had to look some of these up. But, uh, and then the last one, and I'm going to say the first part. I want to see if you guys can say the last part. I feel the need, the need, for speed. the need for speed, right. Who says that? So from Top Gun, who says that? And? And Goose, thank you. Yeah. Maverick and Goose say it in tandem. Technicality. But uh, All right, movie quotes. I, I mean, many of you have probably heard all of those, if not said most of those. Sometimes you say movie quotes and you don't even know that you're saying a movie quote. Houston, we have a problem, a common one where you may just say that. You didn't even know that was from the movie Apollo 13. Movie quotes are fun. We use them a lot. They've kind of infiltrated their way into our, our culture. And in a lot of ways, they kind of frame the way that we talk. 
We talk a lot of times in quotes. But there are other quotes that we hear, quotes from uh, maybe influential political figures or, uh, or, or just more prominent figures in our culture that actually have deep meaning. Quotes that aren't just uh, funny movie quotes, but, but quotes that actually provide meaning or value. So I'm going to say some of these, and I want to see uh, if people can guess uh, who said these. Again, not real hard, but uh, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Neil Armstrong, well done. Uh, how about this one? An unexamined life is not worth living. Who? Socrates? Yeah. Socrates. Yeah. <laughs> That's from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You guys remember that? Yeah. Movie quote within a movie quote. That's great. Uh, so uh, how about this one? Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. JFK. How many people actually were there watching or listening or, or alive when that was said? Raise your hands. Four or five total. Yeah. So in the last service, it was my parents and John's parents were the only two people. Uh, a couple more here. How about this is, uh, this is an incredibly powerful one. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Not Gandhi. Who? Say it loud. No, Martin Luther King, yeah, MLK, well done. Uh, all right, here's another one. We'll do two more. You must be the change you wish to see in the world. Gandhi, yeah. Uh, and then last one, I do not know this one. This was interesting. Better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Shakespeare, no, it's not, but that's a good guess. Dickens was one that came up in the last one. It is. Augustine, well done. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. That was interesting to me. Well done, Ruth. I made this joke in the last one, but free coffee in the back for you as a prize if you want that. Uh, quotes, quotes are powerful. These, uh, obviously, this is but a, a very small, small sample of the powerful and meaningful things that people have said. It could be argued uh, in a lot of ways that these, or, or quotes like these, things that people have said, have, um, have really shaped our culture in a lot of ways. That they've given meaning to entire generations of people. That they've provided hope for people. That these words are very, very powerful. Words in general is an interesting thing, and again, that's what we're talking about this morning. I want to give some stats just to give it an idea of how many words we're speaking, all right? So, as humans, it is estimated that on average, women speak 20,000 words a day. 20,000 words a day. It is also estimated on average that men speak 7,000 words a day. Do with that what you will. So uh, I did a little bit of calculation, and if you average those two numbers, it comes up to be 13,500. So let's use that number as kind of an average usage of words per human per day, all right? Tracking with me? Everybody uh, who has like an actual physical hard copy of the Bible, not your phones, but uh, a real Bible, not that your phones aren't a real Bible, but you know what I'm talking about, hold it up in the air right now. All right, so... That book that you're holding right there, depending on the translation, 
has about 807,000 words in it, obviously give or take on either end, but about 807,000 words are contained in the Bible. If you take our average number of words we speak a day, 13,500, it takes us about 60 days to fill up one Bible's worth of words. In 60 days, we're going to speak about the amount of words that are in the Bible. That means about every two months, we're producing with our language a Bible's worth of words. That means six Bibles a year we're writing with our words. So it's kind of a tangible way to look at that, holding that Bible. I, I, I will speak about six of these over the course of the year. Think about the volume of words that we are speaking, or or the magnitude of words. That means in a given year, we will speak roughly 4,927,500 words. Almost 5 million words. That means in a given lifetime, assuming you don't speak for the first couple years of your life and you live to be 80-ish on average, let's say, hopefully we live longer, you're going to speak 400 million words. 400 million words. Now, what's interesting about all this, research has done on this, and out of that 13,500 words that we speak on average per day, it's estimated only 500 to 700 of the words that we speak are considered meaningful. Only 500 to 700. Here ha- here's what uh, meaningful men or how uh, the, the researcher that, that, uh, that did this tried to define meaningful. Words which have intent to communicate to another person an item of importance to both. So let me say that again. Words which have intent to communicate to another person an item of importance to both. So if we use the same metrics that we just looked at, let's be generous and say that we all speak about 700 words of meaning or of value a day it will take us 1,152 days to fill up that Bible. Or just a little over three years. So, if we look at that three-year period of all the words we say on average, we would write 18 Bibles, and only one of them would be a Bible of value with the words that we speak. The truth of all of this, why... I share this, why I like these stats is because it illustrates the point that words are all around us, that we each say a bunch of words every day. And I think it lends insight to the idea that words are important, that words are powerful, that we remember them. The fact that we all knew those quotes means something. We remember who spoke those words. We remember how those words make us feel. And in a lot of ways, I think words shape who we are. They shape who we are. The power of words can be seen throughout the book of Proverbs. Uh, Some would even say that it's probably the most prominent theme in Proverbs. The, uh, The idea, a word picture of lips, mouth, or tongue is used over 150 times in the book itself. So again, speaking to this idea of how we use those words, the word of lip, tongue, or mouth is used 150 times in the book of Proverbs. So you have to think that Solomon, thinking about this idea, writing this book about wisdom, 
thinks that words, how we use them, how we speak to one another, is an incredibly important facet of being wise. It's why he speaks about it so much. Proverbs says it this way, in the verse that we're going to be looking at specifically this morning, 18, 20 through 21, says this. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. When I first looked at this, I had to read it several times on the surface. The meaning wasn't really coming, uh, coming to me right away. So uh, let, let's walk through this verse a little bit. That first line, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. Solomon is using an agrarian image here. And to fully understand, what I had to do is I had to replace some words. So up behind me, look at this. If we replace the words uh, in this scripture, if we replace mouth with tree, lips with orchard, and tongue with harvest, this is what that verse says. From the fruit of a man's tree, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his orchard. Life and death are in the power of the harvest, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So when you speak about it that way, when you kind of take, remove the metaphor and put in the actual items that he's using to swap in that imagery, the verse makes a lot of sense, right? Solomon is using this imagery of growing one's food to show the importance of how a wise person uses words. Now, obviously, the agrarian metaphor is a little disconnected from us. Very, very few of us uh, rely purely on the harvest of our orchard or the harvest of our fields uh, or our gardens for our food. Now, many of us have gardens and we grow some of our own food, but there are very few of us, if any of us currently, that rely purely on that. But in this context, the hearer would have associated their capacity to grow with their ultimate livelihood. hearer of the passage would have understood the words to mean that one should care for and protect their words in the same way they care for and protect their orchard. For its yield is a matter of life and death. If the yield of the harvest for a year is bad, there would have been a very high possibility, if not an inevitability, that that family would struggle to find food to last through the non-growing season. If the yield was bad, that family was in a bad place. A bad harvest was flirting with death. And so, an orchardist takes incredible care of their trees because they know that their very livelihood depends on it. If you have healthy trees, they'll produce fruit. And if you have fruit you can eat. If your trees are not healthy, there is no fruit and there is no food. In the same way, this is how we should understand our words. They can either bring life or they can bring death, as the scripture says. Our words can either provide a good yield for the harvest or they will not. Because of their importance, we should care for our words and how they are spoken 
as if our lives depended upon them. So this morning, I want to look at this idea of how our words can bring either life or death. And I'm going to start with this idea of death, because I actually want to spend most of the time looking at how our words could bring life. But we have to wrestle with this idea that our words actually can bring death. We all know that words can be destructive. Even though we sing from a very early age, sticks and stones may break my bones, but that is a load of crap. (laughs) Words will never hurt me. We tell our children that, but it is just fundamentally not true. I was actually uh, sitting with Allison the other day and I was talking about this talk and and we're kind of going back and forth and looking at how I was going to communicate this and and I said that uh, and Allison kind of got this pained look on her face and grabbed her heart and she said, I would much rather a a broken bone than have somebody speak harsh words to me. It was this great image of, of somebody really vulnerably saying, I don't want destructive words spoken into my life. I'd much rather a broken arm because a broken arm can heal but sometimes a destructive word will last forever. Even though we don't want to hear these things, I think each of us has had an experience where a destructive word has been spoken into our lives. Remember, as a second grader, I have a a birthday earlier in the school year in September, and so sometimes my birthday actually would land on the first day of school. In this instant, it was the second day of school, And uh, we were there, I was a second grader, I was uh, coming in from recess and the bell rang and we all lined up and uh, second grade boys are just kind of squirrely by nature and so there's a couple of us in line and we're all kind of wrestling and jostling around trying trying to get in line and Leo Montaigne, and I hope he's not here this morning, but Leo Montaigne was uh, in my class. He was the kid behind me, and I don't know how we were talking about this or, or what happened, but I remember this vividly. He kind of leaned forward and whispered in my ear. He said, your dad is a twofer. My dad was a dentist uh, growing up. That was his profession. And he called my dad a twofer. I don't even know what that means. Uh, But all I know is I came unglued, and I turned around and punched him in the face. My first and only fight that I've ever been in. I'm not much of a fighter. But whatever that was triggered something absolutely destructive in me, and I unraveled in front of this kid and turned around, no hesitation, and punched him right in the face. Spent the rest of the day in Orville Jansen's office, that was my principal's name, Uh, and I, to this day, believe that because it was my birthday, and because my mom made cupcakes for my entire class, I used that cupcake to buy Orville Jansen's love back, gave him one, and he let me off uh, with just a warning on that day. Uh, but that word, whatever, for whatever reason, why ever that, that, that was hurtful to me, that word, I, I came unglued. That word unraveled me. Obviously, my story is intended to bring a little bit of levity, but I know for a fact that each of us could reach back into our experience and pull words out of our experience, out of our history, out of our past that have brought us death. Phrases and comments that hurt. Things that were said that destroyed us. Possible abuse. And many of us have spent years trying to recover from those words. And those words have haunted us 
for years and years and years, and we try to recover. Words are incredibly destructive if we let them be. The scripture does not hold back in describing the potential danger of how we use words or how we use our tongue, our lips, our mouth in in, in the phrases that it uses to communicate this. Here are just a couple. 2 Timothy 2.17 says, Our words are like cancer or gangrene. James 3.8 says they are like rust. James 3.8 again says they are like snake venom. Psalm 64 says they are like arrows. Proverbs 18.8 says they are like wounds. James 3.5-6 says they are like a fire. When said without care, our words can eat away. They can deteriorate. They can poison. They can pierce. They can fester. And they can consume others. This is why I believe we are cautioned in Proverbs 13 when it says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. As faithful Christians, I believe we need to measure the words that we say. Not giving in to our impulse to say whatever we feel, whenever we want Because it's in those moments that our words can become destructive and hurt others and wound others. We need to guard, for if we do not, we will come to ruin. But, and here's where I want hope to come into this message, the scripture also says that our words can bring life. How can our words give life? What does this look like? How can we live in to this idea? I think Proverbs speaks about it, and I think Paul kind of looks back at this and speaks about it as well. So we're going to look at different Proverbs and the way that Paul speaks about this. Here's the first one. Words can bring life through kindness and encouragement. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Isn't that a cool idea? Like healing in the the innermost parts of us, in our bones. When raising kids, I'm not sure that there is a better life lesson than this. If you do not have something kind to say, then don't say anything at all. If you do not have something kind to say, then do not say anything at all. In a world that places a premium on efficiency and individualism, Kindness and encouragement are becoming a lost art. Yet I truly believe a kind and encouraging word, although not always necessary to communicate effectively, can change a person's day. They can change a person's month. They can change a person's life. I think Paul gets at this idea a little bit in Ephesians 4 when he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. In speaking to the church, Paul is instructing them to guard their words, to say only that which is encouraging, only that which builds up other people. I challenge you to try this for a day, to only speak kind and encouraging words in a kind and encouraging tone for an entire day. See how hard that is. 
Just like James speaks about the need for the tongue to be tamed, which brings to to mind this image of constantly working, constantly trying to tame the tongue, I believe speaking with kindness is something that needs to be practiced. You can choose to be cynical, you can choose to be cutting and bitter and hurt and sarcastic with your words, or you can choose to be kind and you can choose to be encouraging. It's those who choose these types of words, kind and encouraging words, that can bring life to others. And I believe, in turn, will be brought life. The second one, our words can bring life through reconciliation. Proverbs 15, 4 says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. Do you believe that our words can literally bring healing to people and relationships. One of the most powerful sections of Scripture is in 2 Corinthians where Paul refers to the church as being ministers of reconciliation, saying that God is making His appeal through us. We need to remember as followers of Christ that God is continuing to draw others to Himself through us that he does this in large part by using us to reconcile and redeem broken relationships and broken people. And when we're willing to be used by God, then our words can act as a tree of life for others. To those who are distraught, to those who are lost, to those who are hurt or alone or hopeless, a single word can sometimes be the beginning point of reconciliation. How many of us have unresolved issues with someone else that need to be spoken about? How many of us have been holding back, talking about something because we've become too distant in our friendship? That thing that we're unwilling to talk about has created distance and has fractured us. How many of us have seen a friendship in our life deteriorate because we're unwilling to speak about something because that's not really our place? Maybe it's too messy for me to speak into that. God wants to use us to reconcile others to himself and reconcile others to each other. If we truly believe in the scripture, if we believe Proverbs 15, then we have to believe that our words can bring healing. That God will use our words to bring others to himself. That God will use our words to reconcile. Let us be confident in the belief and practice of ushering God's reconciliation through our words. The last one. For the good news. Proverbs 10:21 says the lips of the righteous nourish many. Proverbs 15:30 says the light of the eyes rejoice the heart and good news refreshes the bones. When the proverb speaks about words bringing life, I think this might be the most tangible application. When we speak the good news of Jesus Christ to others, true life is extended to that person. When we have an opportunity to bring the good news, true life can be extended. 
Famously, St. Francis said the phrase, preach the gospel and at all times, or preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. We've all heard that. This is an incredibly powerful and true statement, and it brings to the forefront this idea that our actions are as important as our words are. And I've often used this quote to talk about the idea of right action or, or, or orthopraxy that we are practicing Christianity in the right way and how that should match our orthodoxy, how we believe about Christianity, that those two things go hand in hand. But there is great danger in hearing this quote and believing that as long as we act in accordance with the gospel, then we can be lazy with our words, that we can be impulsive with what we say, that we can be unguarded in our speech. Actions and words go hand in hand. Our lives should display the gospel in our actions, and our words should be good news to others. Because in offering good news, there is a chance that we might literally be extending true life to that person. Paul concludes when he's speaking to the elders in Ephesus, he says this, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I think it's a good reminder to look at that, to hear Paul's words, and remember that our call is not all that different. Just as Jesus traveled through Galilee proclaiming the good news, and just as he sent his disciples to do the same And just as Paul was compelled to do the very same thing, so are we to testify to the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of God's grace. And in testifying with our mouths, life can be extended. True life can be given and offered to another person. Let me conclude with this. Our words are important And yet I think too often we act as if they are not. We are frivolous in their use. We speak in anger and then sheepishly say that we didn't mean it. We talk about others, but only in confidence with our spouses. We speak hurtful things and just assume that in time the other person will forget. But let me remind you that you cannot be separated from the words that you say. Jesus says in Luke 6, a good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. We cannot be separated from the words that we say. Now this reality can either be an encouraging truth or one that brings great conviction. Because the words we say are a very reflection of what's on the inside. They're a reflection of our heart. They are inseparable, for better or for worse. That means what you say and how you say it and when you say it is a good indicator of your heart for Jesus Christ. I believe we have an opportunity to bring life with our words by speaking with kindness and encouragement. By seeking reconciliation, allowing God to use our words to reconcile and to redeem 
and by bringing the good news of God's grace to others. We can bring life to others. Therefore, let us seek Christ and ask for his mercy and grace anew every day with the words that we say. Amen.